Philippians chapter 3, and we will read verses 1 to 8. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 to 8. Philippians chapter 3, excuse me, we'll read verses 1 to 9. We'll read nine verses here. Philippians chapter 3, we're going to read nine verses. Again, Paul is writing to a church, the Philippian church, and encouraging them and uplifting them. And so let's get the benefit of that as well today. Here we go, Philippians 3, it says, verse 1, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit, and rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh, though I might also have confidence in the flesh. If any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. When I look at this passage here and I look at what Paul's teaching, it reminds me of uh, something I read about a few years ago that I was fascinated with, uh, an incident of, of uh, four guys out hunting. Pardon me, four guys, they're actually out fishing, and two of them had, um, a couple of them had shotguns they were carrying. And so it was, a, it was a, an uncle, and then there was a grandpa, there was an uncle, there was this guy named um, Elliot was his name, the boy. Um, if I remember right, that was, I believe that was his name. And then he had his cousin. So the boy that, the person in the story is this 11-year-old boy you're going to hear about. He had his cousin with him, he had his uncle, and he had his grandpa. They were out in Alaska, walking a trail. You know, Alaska's a lot of undeveloped wild land still. They're walking their trail. They're going to go fishing. Two of them have, a, at least two of them have a shotgun. And so they're walking, they're walking the trail, and uh, next thing you know, as they're walking the trail, there's the, the uncle out front and the grandpa, and then this boy 
uh, Elliot and his cousin was behind him. And they're walking this trail looking for a place to fish and everything and enjoying the walk and, uh, and everything and having a nice day. And next thing you know, a, a brown grizzly bear comes running out under the trail way up ahead and starts charging. This is a true story. It happened in June of 2017. Starts charging toward the, the fishing party here. The dad or the grandpa and the, and the uncle being out in front. And it happened so quick. And it happened uh, so abruptly that the, I believe it was the uncle that had the other shotgun. He didn't even have time. He had it on a strap. He didn't even have enough time to pull it out and, and set it and aim and fire. It was like that, that, that charging bear comes pounding down the trail and knocks. He didn't do any, didn't attack, but he knocked the uncle, knocked the, the grandpa, just knocked him out of the way. And now he's charging toward the, the 11-year-old boy. His dad, had always, his dad had been wanting to put a strap on his shotgun for a few weeks now, and he just never got around to it. So he was carrying it, which was an advantage. He was carrying it, and so as soon as that, <laughs> as soon as that bear come charging, he he. And, and another thing, he had three rounds. No, he had more than three. I think he had four. His first round was bird shot. That just kind of, you know, it's to knock out some birds in the air, but it's not going to take a bear. His second three were slugs. That'll do something. So here it is. The bear comes charging. Uncle couldn't pull his gun out. He's knocked out of the way. Grandpa's knocked out of the way. The bear's charging. The boy pulls the gun, 11-year-old boy, and shoots. Boom! The bird shot. Didn't do anything. Boom! Shoots again. It shot right down, right, right through the snout of the bear and right down his, down his spine. He's still running, and it's moving fast. Boom! He shoots him again. I can't remember where he hit him. In the, I think it was in the side. Hit him in the side. By that time, it was literally one of those things. He got him at the last minute, and he slumped and slid right toward him on that third shot. This 11-year-old boy. His cousin's behind him. He's probably, his knees were knocking probably. I didn't, that's not what the article said, but I'm imagining. And then the uncle finally gets his, his gun in place. He comes over, and they both, boom, boom, give a couple final shots and put the bear down. And so, oh, boy. Whew, the adrenaline's pumping now, right? You know? And of course, the, the greatest 11-year-old boy you had ever heard of in that part of Alaska is now known. Man, what a guy. Every 11-year-old boy wants to be that guy. Man, I wish I was that guy. Everyone, Yeah, maybe, you know. If you would have missed, it would have been bad because that one was coming right at him. You know, it, it's kind of one of those things I started thinking about Life is kind of like this, you know, they, uh, you know, while they're enjoying themselves, while they're going on a, a nice hike and they're and going to enjoy fishing, though they're in a scenario of let's enjoy, let's appreciate what we're doing, let's take uh, some pleasure in this fishing, at the same time, it's necessary while it's good to enjoy things, at the same time, you have to be aware of things, right? It's like life involves enjoying, but also beware while you're enjoying things. And that's kind of the idea here with Paul. Paul starts out in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. We made a bunch of, bunch of a big deal out of this because it's a, a repeated theme in the book. Or Paul says, okay, rejoice in the Lord. That is, he's telling Christians basically, 
Look, you might not be able to be happy about everything, but you can always be happy about the Lord. You can always be glad in the Lord. There's multiple reasons for that. We looked at some of them last week. But then right after he says, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord, then he says, now wait a minute, beware. And he gives us some things to beware about. Really, he gives us one primary thing to be aware of, and he describes it in several ways. In other words, it's kind of like us in the, in the path of life. Hey, I need to enjoy life. I want to enjoy the fact that the Lord is walking with me in my path. I want to enjoy the fact that God's going to coordinate all things, not that all things will be good, but God's going to coordinate and work all things together for my good. I'm going to enjoy the fact that God loves me. I'm going to enjoy the fact that God's never going to leave me. I'm going to rejoice in the Lord and in, in, in so many different things because of who the Lord is. But while I'm rejoicing in the Lord, I also need to be aware of stuff. There's lurking things in life that can pounce out at you. There's things that are dangerous, and we're not going to look at every single thing that's dangerous in life that we need to be aware of. We don't have time to do that. But Paul zeroes in on one particular type of thing that you should be aware of. All right? Notice some phrases. He says, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. I, I tried to really think of what he's talking about. I think all three of those things are really talking about, they're all a facet of one thing. It's this. It's this. Beware of self-righteous religion. The dogs, the evil workers, the concision, it's really all pointing to one subject. Look what, he, look what he says. He starts talking about if anybody has confidence in the flesh. He goes, as Christians, we don't have confidence in ourselves in the flesh. And then he shows his old resume of when he was confident in the flesh, and we'll look at that. And then he starts talking about the fact of some people who have their, look at verse 9, having my, Paul says, I don't, I don't have mine own righteousness. But that's contrasting with the concept. He says there's a lot of people who parade themselves and assert themselves about having their own righteousness and confidence in the flesh and uh, trusting in themselves. And the whole picture here, the big picture is what? Paul's warning, beware, beware, beware of, of the whole idea of self-righteous religion that's out there. And I would say even we can develop a self-righteous attitude as already saved people. We need to be aware of that. Self-righteousness in other, uh, other religions or even other branches of Christianity that develop this strong self-righteous attitude. Now, what do we mean by self-righteous? What do we mean by self-righteous? We mean that a person says, look, I, am, I have attained a righteous judicial value before God of myself. I've attained a good judicial stand before God because I add a little to it. Yeah, Jesus, thank you for kicking in the last thing there and helping me out. But I have attained some righteousness because of I said this, I did this, I tried this, I gave up this, anything. That's all self-righteousness. You know what it is? It's all garbage to God. And Paul called it stuff you flush down the toilet. That's, right. That's exactly what Paul called it. Asserting something, look what I have done and I obtained so that God, I am something before you because look at what I have done. And that's, Paul says, well, okay, well, let's beware of this stuff. Beware, he says, of 
self-righteous, a self-righteous religion, self-righteous philosophy, or self-righteous people. It's a lurking danger. Let's look at three issues. This is what the text kind of shows us here. Three issues related to self-righteous religion, or you can say a self-righteous attitude. Three issues that are related to that. The first one is we see some characteristics of self-righteous religion. And you would think, well, why, what are these here for? Look at verse 2. There's three characteristics here to begin under the first point of self-righteous religion. He says, beware, beware, beware. What? Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. Okay. Some of us, right when we've heard of beware of dogs, we're like, wait a minute. What's so wrong with a dog? All right. So most people, uh, Americans, we, we, we can make the worst thing look good. You know, we can make bad things look good and, and all that. The dog, if you were to follow the theme of the Bible, to let the Bible define the, the weight and value of a dog, you'll find at the end of the day, there's, dogs are helpful because they're watchful. They can be loyal. Um, the Bible talks about a living dog's better than a dead lion. There's certain things where... But if you follow the theme of God's viewpoint of a dog, it's they're dirty. They're dirty, they're scavengers. And, and it's the, the, really the idea here, see, we think of dog, okay, the American mind right now are like dog. We instantly think of a domesticated trained dog, right? That's not how they were. They, when they talked about dogs, it was like they're wild. There might be some Gentiles that domesticated, but there are a lot of wild dogs even in the Jewish, this, I know this isn't a Jewish church, it's a Gentile church, but even in the, a lot of the Jewish societies, there'd just be um, packs of dogs, there'd be packs of dogs even in the Greek homes and the other, there would just be people, neighborhood, you know those, those stray dogs. Hey, that's what we kind of think of, right? Stray dogs, we still think, think of that in, sometimes when we see the sign, beware of dogs. It's like, beware of my domesticated dog that instantly hates you, you know? You know, I actually appreciate if somebody says, beware of dog. Thank you. Thank you. It's better than the opposite, where the dog is just like, rah, 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 he's at the window, he's at the, rah, and he's foaming at the mouth. They're like, oh, no, it's okay, he's nice. <laughs> to you, he's nice to you. He ain't going to be nice to me. He needs to change his tone before I believe you. So anyways, you know, so, okay, so we're talking about dogs. Paul's, Paul brought it up. I don't, he's not, I don't think Paul's talking about literal dogs. I think people already had this mindset when they walked through the street. Watch out, there's a wild pack of dogs over here. When you go out yonder, watch around there. People had that literal dog awareness. But now Paul said, wait, he's talking about symbolically of people being, being to be aware of dogs. Um, some people are aggressive like a dog. Some people are, um, they'll attack you, they'll hound you. They'll go after you and go after you and go after you. And I think Paul's saying in his day, there, many Bible scholars say it's the Judaizers. They called them the Judaizers, okay? Uh, it's not people who followed the God of Judy, okay? It's, it's, it's from the idea of they're Jewish people who accepted 
they said they accepted Messiah, but they added works to that religion. And they were very aggressive on getting the Gentiles and going after the Gentiles. And you need to keep the law and you need to do this and you need to do that. And they would hound the Gentiles about their religion. They were, uh, and what was ironic is that these Judaizers would actually look at other Gentiles as dogs, but Paul called them dogs for hounding people. Paul called them that. Um, beware of them. My, one time my dad, my, my dad had a uh, pit bull named Arlie at one point. And uh, old Arlie, you know, he was kind of spotted and brown and white and black, I think. I don't know, little spots he had on him. Dad loved Arlie. And dad would bring Arlie to, uh, he was at the house, and dad would put him in his truck and take him down to the shop when dad was still running the shop. And and uh, Arlie, man, he, he was his own personality. You know, he had, my dad would sit, my dad would sit behind the desk, and then Arlie had his little spot. Isn't that right, Dad? Right here? To your left. Arlie had his spot. He'd go over there. And so if somebody came in the office, they'd come right through the door, and they'd come right here. And one time, one time there was this guy named Mark. It was a guy who used to work with my dad. And he'd come down, and he talked to my dad, and he liked to talk a lot. He'd come down, and he came in the office one day, and, and, uh, and Mark comes Mark comes walking in, and he comes in like this, and he's like, oh, yeah, 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 you got the dog there. My dad's like, don't, just, just, that's Arlie, just stay away from him, just, you just stay back. This is his zone. Arlie had his zone. And, uh, and so he come in, Mark came in, he's like, oh, no, no, it's okay, it's all right. And my dad's like, don't, Mark, just, just don't go over there. <laughs> you know, let him come to you, uh, to, that, to, that, to that, that idea there. And so, no, no, it's fine. It's all, I'm like, he's kind of like, I'm good with dog. And, and he, all he did was went to go like this, just, just get a little closer. And I was like, Rawr! you know, and my dad's like, I told you. I told you. And Mark was all surprised, like, oh, he attacked me. He didn't attack. He just kind of barked at him and snipped, you know. And uh, that was his zone. You stay out of Arlie's zone. Once Arlie gets out of his zone, he kind of changes attitude. So, but uh, anyways, you know, beware of dogs. So, uh, some people are very aggressive. They'll hound you about what you believe. They'll hound you over what they want to force on you to believe. And if you believe something uh, that offends them, they'll bite and they'll snarl and they'll go after you. And I think that's the idea. There's, I think it's the idea of aggressiveness. There's the character is there could be very aggressive, self-righteous people like dogs here. I had a guy one time, he'd call me... I've had a guy, there's a guy, he hasn't for a while, it, almost like once or twice a year, he'd call me and he'd say, you know, I was looking at your website and I noticed you have that Jesus Christ is God and the Father is God and the Holy Spirit. And he'd go on this spill and then, I'm, and then, he, then he'd try to like, basically what he was, he'd tell me once or twice a year and he would hound me about the idea of the Trinity, that God, there's three persons, one God. And I'm like, this guy's Jehovah's Witness, or follower of the Watchtower, I should say, falsely, falsely so-called witness for Jehovah God, falsely. But he, uh, and he went, how is it that, and he would go on and he'd want to debate and argue, and I, and I said, and, and sometimes he wouldn't let me finish an answer. I said, I don't think you really want to know my answer because you're interrupting. And then, you know, he would get upset because I think that Jesus is God and he has been God from all of eternity. 
not just say he was created at a moment in time as, as a God and now lives forever, that Jesus has always been God with the Father from eternity past all the way through eternity future, and that just drove him crazy. And he couldn't stand the fact that I had this high view of Jesus. And so I finally said, you just wish I would lower my view of Jesus a little bit. Would that make you feel better? Make you feel better if I just lower that a little bit? That he's not God, he's just a God. And he, was just, he would just hound me and hound me. And then he called me again, and I was like, you know what? You, I, he, and here's the thing. These people are cowards. They'll have an unknown number, or they'll have a fake number, or they'll email you, and it'll be a fake email. They're absolute cowards. And if they want to talk, they should come here and look at me in the face and talk. But he would do this, and he'd hound me and hound me. And it's like, you know, I don't think you, whatever his name was, I said his name that he told me his name was. says, I don't think you really want to know, so I just hang up. But there's people out there that are dogs. They'll hound you. They'll hound you. Beware of dogs. There's people that are like evil workers. And again, I think it's pointing to a similar thing. Evil workers, 2 Timothy 4, 14 to 15. Paul says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. Be thou aware also, he says, he, he talked about a person who did him much evil. Notice what it says, verse chapter 3, verse 1. Beware of evil workers, people that work harm. Let's look in Matthew 10. Matthew 10, 16, 17, and 18. Jesus told Christians, his followers, the believers in him, to don't just go out there without your eyes open and without your brain working. He said, watch out as you're living out your Christianity, beware of men. Look at it says, Matthew 10, verse 16 to 18. Matthew 10, verse 16 to 18, he says, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. You're vulnerable. Be therefore, don't, be therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues. And ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them, and the Gentiles. Did you hear what Jesus is saying? He's saying to the, to, the, to the disciples, listen, you are followers of me, you're vulnerable because everybody else out there that is not, that is of a, he's talking about, I think, religious structures out there. They will want to hound you and go after you like a wolf to a, to a lamb. And so you need to be wise like a serpent. Not, that's a positive thing that they in and out and they know how to be evasive but harmless as doves. And then he says, you know what? He predicted what does, did happen and does happen to Christians. He says, they're going to deliver you up to their councils. You're going to have to report to their bunch of big, big shot religious leaders and give an account for what you're teaching and preaching. And in their synagogues, they'll persecute you. And you know what's happened in time, throughout time? Christians have been delivered to secular councils, to religious councils, and brought before uh, Roman, Catholic, Roman Catholic councils and Islamic type things and every other scenario and have a given account of the gospel of the grace of God. And some people can't stand that. They can't stand that the message of Christianity is there's nothing that we contribute. It's all of God by faith and that's how we're saved and that's how we're to live. And there's other religious structures that are built and developed that say, no, 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 we can't have that. You have to give something. You have to participate some. You have to do this righteous act. You have to do this baptism. And they can't stand it, and they want to persecute people who preach the gospel of the free grace of God. 
Because the gospel of the free grace of God gives God the most glory. And the organization gets little to none. And so Jesus says, beware of evil workers. They might be religious. They might work evil on you, though. Beware of that. And then he says, beware of the concision. Again, we're looking at characteristics here. The concision, go back to Philippians. Paul, the apostle Paul, chosen by God to be an apostle to the to the Gentiles who himself was thoroughly Jewish in his upbringing, tells us to beware of what? The concision. You're like, what in the world is that? I've heard of something that's concise. I don't know what the concision is. The word here is a, it's kind of like it was a nickname for a group, the cutters. In particular, it was the Judaizers, that is. It was people who... (laughs) They believed in that you, the first thing you do after, you, after a Gentile trusts Jesus and puts their faith in Jesus, they need to be circumcised, that Gentile male. Now again, let me back up a little bit. In, the, in Israel, <coughs> excuse me, in Israel, the Jews believed, they were told to, to circumcise the males. That is, the, the, the extra foreskin that the male had to circumcise that, to trim that off, and that was a sign of their following of the Lord. That wasn't the only thing, but that was one of the biggest things you do. It's one of the first things you do on the eighth day of a baby boy being born. Circumcise them. All these other Gentiles, they don't do that, but we do that because our father Abraham was told to do that, which we're going to look at in a moment. And so they followed, they circumcised their males, and then, of course, the Jew, a girl or a boy, would begin to follow the Jewish law, the dietary laws that God laid out, the moral laws, the civil laws, and they would begin to keep the law, try to keep the law. And God used that law keeping to show them, man, you're blowing it, aren't you? That's why I sent my son Jesus, because you're blowing it. You can't keep that law, can you? So Jesus dies on the cross to fulfill the that fact that we've broken all those laws, and the Jews have, so that we can be forgiven. But anyways, these Jews, they try to keep the laws. So then they hear about Jesus coming. Oh, Jesus died on the cross for your sins and everything like that, and he rose from the dead. So there was some people who were Jewish, who said, yes, we believe this. We can't deny this is truly the Messiah. We can't deny that. Isaiah 53, yep, absolutely, that's him. And they say, yes, Jesus is Messiah, but you need to believe. This is exactly what they said. Acts 15, Galatians is all about this. This is no doubt. This is exactly what they said. Yes, believe in Jesus, but also they would do Jesus plus something equals salvation. But also you need to be circumcised. That was the first thing that our Jewish boys do. That's the first thing you Gentiles do. Have you been trimmed up? Have you been circumcised? Because you must needs keep the law of Moses. Circumcised and then the dietary laws. And they would say that. And so what you have here is you have all these, like we're most, pretty much all of us are probably Gentiles. We're, we, you imagine we're the Philippian church. We all get saved. Yes, yeah, we're saved. We're just trusting Jesus. And then some guy comes in. But did you ever, have you ever done this thing that Moses said? Have you ever been circumcised? You ever keeping this stuff? And said, so, what? Huh? Huh? I, gotta, I never knew about any of that stuff. And adding more things to, to the, um, uh, the condition of whether you're going to get saved or not. You're like, oh my goodness, I got to do more? And that's what they were doing. And they were adding to the gospel. They were improvising the gospel. Paul says, beware of them. Jesus plus something. And Paul says, it is by grace through faith. And Paul says, in fact, let's take a quick peek there at Romans chapter 3. Pardon me, Romans chapter 4. Romans 4, Paul discussed this whole thing here. 
Romans 4, verse 2. We're going to read some verses here. Pay attention to this. This is more important here. Romans 4, verse 2. For if Abraham were justified, that is, declared righteous with God, for if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory. Ah, but not before God. For what saith the Scripture, verse 3, Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him, verse 4, now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned or considered of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Look at verse 10. Before we read verse 10, I want you to follow this now. So who was the first guy? You've got to think Jewish stuff here. Abraham, the father of the Jews and in, 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 uh, in, in everything. And, and God came to him and said, I'm going to give you this promised land. Okay, God, I believe you. And, and then later on, God told Abraham to practice this thing of male circumcision, of him and his descendants. You need to do that. It's a sign of what you are to me. Now, Paul says something. Paul says, when did God call Abraham a righteous, saved man? When did God call him that? Was it when, before he was circumcised, like all these Jews do? Or was it after he was circumcised, did God call him righteous? Paul says, look what it says in Romans 4, verse 10. How was it reckoned? When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. Verse 11, he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of faith, which he had yet being uncircumcised. That he, why? That he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised that righteousness might be imputed unto them also, verse 12, and the father of circumcision, to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised. Here's what he's saying. Paul's saying, here's Abraham and all these Jews say, oh, you got to be circumcised to be saved. you got to add these Jewish laws, and particularly that one, to be saved and believe on Jesus. But Paul says, wait a minute, when did God say Abraham was saved? He said it when God talked to Abraham, and Abraham says, God, I believe what you're saying. And God says back, then I count that faith for righteousness. And then afterwards, God says, oh, by the way, let's do this circumcision thing. And he did it, and he's told his descendants to. So Paul says, when, did God, when, did, when was he a saved man? Before he looked Jewish. That's when. Before he looked righteous, that's when he was saved. Why? So that Abraham could be the example, the father of Jews in us too. He's my father spiritually. Do you know Abraham's the father of a lot of Muslims, uh, genetically, and Jews? But that doesn't matter. He's the father, my spiritual father, and I'm following Abraham. I believe God, and that's all I do. I cast my pathetic self on him, and God says, you believe me? Yep. 
and I'm not given any righteousness. I have no righteousness to contribute. God, I just believe your son did for me. I cast myself on you. I believe your word. And God says, all right, I'll take that faith and say, mm, you're righteous. Yep, Abraham's my father. Abraham's more my father than some Jews have as his father because they're not trusting in him. They're not, they're not having faith like Abraham faith. They're having faith in all the stuff that makes them look Jewish. Some people today have faith in all the stuff that makes them look righteous like their religion and they're adding works to their faith. It's the concision. Paul says, beware of the concision. The church of Christ, the church of Christ says, Believe on Jesus and be baptized. The Seventh-day Adventists, not all, some. Some say you better part, believe in Jesus and worship on Saturday. The Jehovah's Witness say believe in Jesus, which is a different Jesus, and do this and work out your salvation and everything. And then the, uh, some of our, a lot of our Mormons friends say, and they quote 2 Nephi, where it says, we know that we are saved by grace through faith after all we can do. Okay. How do I know I've done all I could do? And so they add that. And so some people will add things. Islam will say, even Islam and Roman Catholicism, they add stuff. And Paul says, beware of that. That's basically adding righteousness. So what does Paul do next? He talks about having confidence in the flesh. So he says characteristics of them are this. The contrast, look at verse 3. So what is Paul talking about here? He's the word here. He's the authority. He's the one teaching us. He says, watch out, there's dogs, evil workers, concision. And then he says, we are the circumcision. So Paul's going to contrast the right self-righteous religion. Here, here's the contrast in verse 3. We are the circumcision. It's a spiritual cutting away, which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Jesus Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. So what is Paul saying here? He's saying here's a, here's a self-righteous religion, but here's the opposite of it. Us that are genuine Christians... You know what we are? Spiritually circumcised. There's spiritual circumcision. Paul talks about the fact that he cuts, that when we're saved, it's like the Holy Spirit does a, uh, a spiritual work on us, and spiritually we're looked at as circumcised before God. And we have, what does it say? What does your Bible say? No confidence in the flesh. We worship God in the Spirit. Look at verse 3. Where do we worship God? It's not, it's not about, did you know that I, I like things to look good around here? And I think probably most people, by the way, can somebody turn on the fan? Turn on that, uh, Dylan, why don't you see me, or uh, Steve, get that fan going there and the back one. Watch this. Paul, I'm trying to get us to think what, what is Paul's Paul teaching us, not what Pastor Henry teaches, because you're going to fuss with Pastor Henry. What is Paul saying? Paul's saying, hey, we Christians, you know what, we're spiritual circumcision. We're the spiritual circumcision. What do we do? We don't worship God with all the temples. We don't have to have all the temples. We don't have to have all the stuff. This is nice stuff. It's little methods of things. But we worship, essentially worship is done in the spirit. It's your spirit doing it. Okay? It's not that you don't have other things, but it's essentially we worship God in the spirit, not necessarily in the temple. And then it says, what else does it say? We have no, uh, we rejoice what? Not in self. We rejoice in Christ Jesus. 
I don't rejoice in my church saving me. I don't rejoice in my uh, church uh, being my vehicle for salvation. I don't rejoice in myself. I don't rejoice in my righteous resume that I might have or my heritage. I rejoice in Christ Jesus. This is all very selfless righteousness. It's Savior-focused. And Paul says, "Wait's what we are. We're the circumcision worship of God in the Spirit. Verse 3, rejoice in Jesus Christ and have no confidence in the flesh. Whereas a lot of, again, don't you feel bad? I feel bad for some people. I feel bad for some people because they have to have confidence in themselves. There's some Muslims that make pilgrimages because they have, I'm have and they have confidence that they can go do this pilgrimage and earn some favor with who they perceive to be God is. Or some dear Roman Catholics who are maybe doing a pilgrimage or praying or doing these beads and all kinds of stuff and visiting a, a, a thing every day or doing it. They're, having confidence, they're trying to have confidence in themselves for righteousness. Or some others who are trying to achieve and they have this confidence in self. And Paul says, we have no confidence in the flesh. I bring nothing to the table with God as far as getting eternal life. So Paul's contrasting. He says, here's the self-righteous religion, and here's some symbols of it. It's contrasted with this. We have no confidence in the flesh. Um, and then number three, the last point, what, here's a third issue, is the, uh, listen to this. Now, okay, now we get to hear the champion. We're going to hear from the heavyweight champion, the former heavyweight champion of self-righteousness. You ready? The former, I mean, I wanted to, you know, I, I like watching boxing. I liked watching Mike Tyson and Roy Jones a little bit and, and these other guys, and man, they were good. And, but here we go, heavyweight champion of boxing. No, of self-righteous religion. Watch this, verses 4 to 6. Look at verse 4. Paul says, though, uh, I, I might have confidence in the flesh. You know, self-righteous religion, workspace religion, they have confidence. He goes, I can do that. And then Paul says, watch this. Paul goes, if any of them think they can have confidence in themselves, I'm more. I can be more right. I can pull out a more righteous resume than you guys. He's playing. Do you see this? It's sarcasm. It's humor. Look what he says. Though I, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, verse 3, if any other man thinketh that he have whereof he might trust in the flesh, I'm more. Me. I'm more righteous than you. He's being facetious. He's being sarcastic. But you know what? There's a big truth here. Look what he says. Paul, what was so righteous about you? As far as that Jewish type, he was the best of the best. Here's my resume. Check this out. He says, me as a Jew, I'm circumcised the eighth day. Boy, I didn't go a day earlier. I didn't go a day later. Did you know that's what the law said? That's what you need to do them boys on the eighth day. And, and biologically, that's actually the ideal day to do it if you want to do it circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. I want you to know this was not just a, an Ethiopian convert or a Saudi Arabian uh, proselyte. I am a stock of Israel uh, circumcised the eighth day. Not only that, verse 5, of the tribe of Benjamin. You know, the tribe of Judah was a great tribe. The tribe of Benjamin was too because they stayed loyal to Judah, which was where all the kings came from. When all the other ten tribes went to paganism, Judah didn't, they did later, but they stayed more faithful. They were more of the remnant, a remnant tribe. Paul says, I'm not just a Hebrew, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. And he wasn't lying. And then he says, look at verse 5. What kind of Jew was Paul? As touching the law of Pharisee. Did you know the most elite type of, if you're just going to immerse yourself in the Jewishness of his day, 
the most elite were Pharisees. They were the ones who years before helped recover their religion from some of the pagan influences of Antiochus Epiphanes and wanted to recover it and go back to a literal rendering, a literal practice of what Moses said. And they were kind of like very conservative type people. Believed the Bible literally. Followed the Bible literally in contrast to the liberal Sadducees. And the Pharisees became, then they became very, very self-focused instead of God-focused. But he was from an elite sect in, in, in Judaism. And then he says in verse 6, not only that, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. That was a badge of honor. Did you realize that? See, when we think about somebody hurting Christians, we're like, whoa, that's not good. But in a non-Christian religion, it's like you go persecute some Christians. Yes. Paul made sure that Christians were arraigned and, and persecuted and some of them killed. And Paul says, that's me touching the righteousness, verse 6, which is in the law, blameless. Now, Paul in his heart had sin and he knew he had sin in his heart. He describes it later on. But Paul's saying is, look, I was from the best tribe. I was kept the law. I, was, uh, I identified with the best uh, group of religious followers, the Pharisees. And you know what? If everybody looked at my life, they couldn't, they had no checks. No other Jews had any boxes to check on me violating as, what does he say? As following the law, blameless. Whoa! Paul's like, if anybody was righteous, I was righteous. I had the best Jewish resume there ever was. Now watch this. You, imagine, you ever make up a resume, some of y'all? Do they, people do that in hours? They're just like, hey, here's my background. Just go search it yourself, you know. Uh, but, you know, you get it. Well, I got this resume. It's all, I spent a lot of time on this. I took a class to tell me how to write it. My mom reminded me how to indent, on, you know. And you got this resume. Imagine you got this resume and you just go and throw it in the garbage and say, who cares? You're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's what Paul does. Look what he says. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. All that stuff, it's a loss. It contributes nothing to my merit, to my value, to my salvation. It's loss for Christ. And look what he says. Yea, and doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom what else has happened? I have suffered. I have permitted the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ and be found in Him not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but the righteousness which is through the faith of Christ. So Paul not only watched this. The way Paul was saved, there was two things he had to just, they had to be, that were relinquished. When Paul became a Christian, he had to think of his, all of his merit and all of his goodness and all of his character that he thought and other people thought of him. And he had to say, you know what? It doesn't matter before God. It doesn't, in God's eyes, it doesn't matter if everybody thinks I'm righteous. In God's eyes, it doesn't matter if I even have, if I had this elite upbringing. In God's eyes, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to have to flush it down the toilet and have faith alone in Christ alone because I know in my heart I'm a sinner. And that's when Paul was saved. And not only that, he still suffered the loss of other things, family, friends, favor. And he had to like, I'm just going to have to count that but dung. I lost, maybe he lost his earthly father and said, well, at least I got a heavenly father. Maybe he lost an earthly brother who didn't like him because he became a Christian. So he has a, has 
uh, uh, spiritual brothers. Dr. Al Reichman, I was listening to his testimony. Again, here's a Jewish man brought up as a Jew, and he became a Christian through the, the, the inviting of a boy to vacation Bible school. He actually made a false profession of faith as a young boy. Um, somebody just ran him through a prayer, and then later on in his teen years, he's like, I realized I wasn't saved. And, he's, and then he's kept fighting with himself about it. He said his friend, one of his friends, he's like, well, if I'm as good as my friend, then I must be saved. And then he says a week later, his friend said he wasn't saved too. And he's like, oh, man. So God shook him up because he didn't have a genuine, genuine conversion yet. And then finally as a teenager, he made it right. He truly, of his own accord, accepted Jesus Christ as a Savior and was saved. And then it got tough. Now, he had four, three sisters that were saved too, so that was helpful. And he had a single mom that was raising him at the time. And she just started to go like this to him. But eventually she softened, softened. She eventually became a Christian. His grandparents came over one time, and he said, when my grandparents came over, my mother told us, all my sisters and me, just hide everything that looks Christian and don't say anything. The grandparents came. They visited. They were like this. And finally, one of the sisters says, she started tearing up. So I can't keep it. I can't stand it. I got to tell you, Grandma, Grandpa, I accepted Jesus as my Savior. That threw everything off for the rest of the night. The kids were all ushered to bed. He said, we all got ushered quickly to bed. And then my two grandparents, this was his mother's parents, came in when we were at night. They gave each of, a, each of us a kiss and left. We never saw them. Well, we didn't see them for a long time after that. But eventually they became Christians. His parents were divorced at, when he was a teen or kid. He says, his dad went back to Israel. He says, after, he says when I was, became a Christian, my father found out about it. My father did some kind of ceremony where I was considered dead. And he said, he never spoke to me again. I never heard from him again. He goes, when my dad died, I went to Israel to visit his grave. I didn't know where his grave was. I was looking for it. Nobody would tell me. None of my relatives would tell me. Finally found an uncle. I said, uncle, where's grave and he and he talked because he you wouldn't want me to know i can't tell you and he felt like you, you know that's a lot of cutting off of his dad his uncles and then he said you know what you know i i lost a, i lost my my earthly father but i realized that's i'm gonna have to count that as lost because right. that i because i've won jesus christ as my savior and i have a heavenly father forever forever and that guy had to beware of self-righteous religion. He had to take heed against it. You'll lose, you'll lose pride if you accept Christ. You'll, you might lose possessions. You might lose certain people as relationship. But look what you gain. Paul says that I may gain Christ, that I may win Christ. Some of us, we're, we're about done here. I'm wrapping this up. Some of us, listen, I, I'm sorry. Some of us, you know what? We only take heed to the artificial flavors, colors, and preservatives in our food. Okay. We take heed to stuff in the street. Do you take heed to anything like this? Do you take heed to false artificial gospels and voices and value systems? Do you take heed? Are you being aware of all those things? Those are the things that really affect us. Beware, Paul says. Beware. Even Jesus said that. Beware of false Christ which come to you in sheep's clothing. The influence of these. Are you being where? 
The greatest point to be aware of is the fact that God says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If I'm not, I need to be aware of the fact that if I die naturally as I am, I'll face death in the lake of fire. But if I accept God's gift of eternal life, then I have, of Jesus Christ, then I have eternal life. Let's beware today.